Good morning, church. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I want to ask you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. While you're doing that, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Dallas Wilson. I am actually the discipleship pastor at our Millen campus, so uh, I'm not Buck, unfortunately. Uh, Buck is, uh, is out of town this weekend. He asked me to come speak, and I am super excited to do that. Uh, my wife, Jenna, uh, is, is back there, She's uh, and our, she brought our one-year-old uh, daughter with us. Her name is Danny. If you have a one-year-old and, and they are currently in KK, um, just let me go ahead and apologize beforehand for whatever she may do to your one-year-old in there, okay? She, uh, she's a vicious character, right? She, she usually walks in and picks, up, picks out somebody to pick on from the very start. Uh, but we are so excited to be here with you this morning. And, and before we even get started, I just wanted to take a moment to tell you, uh, to tell you how appreciative I, of, I am of your pastor. Right? Uh, Buck, it, it, he's not here, so I'm going to brag on him. And I hope he doesn't listen to the podcast and hear me say this. But uh, I thank the world of Buck Bitten. He, he's a great guy, and uh, he probably doesn't even know the influence he has in my life. And so uh, just be proud of your pastor. He's a godly man, and, I, and I'm thankful for him. The only thing bad about Buck Bitten is uh, that me and Buck are too much alike, okay? So uh, we both have a hyper-competitive streak, and as of right now, there is still currently a push-up challenge that's out there for Buck that he has not accepted yet, right? So if he does listen to this podcast, I want him to know that I, I, I'm putting him on notice to the whole church, okay? So y'all, y'all rag him about that when he gets back. We get, we get together, and we're too, uh, we're too competitive with each other, but I, I love Buck. Uh, as you turn to Genesis chapter 3, I want to just open us up in a, in a word of prayer, if that's okay. God, I thank you so much for this church this morning. Lord God, uh, we just... We thank you that we get to open your word today, God. It, we don't take that for granted, Jesus. God, I just pray that during this time, God, that you would just silence this, this foolish man, dear God, and that you would just speak, God, in a mighty way, Father God, through your word and through your Holy Spirit right here, right now this morning, God. Or to those who are hurting in here this morning, Lord, would you just please speak to them in a special way. Dear Lord, those, to those who are lost and don't know they're lost today, dear God, I pray that today would be a day of salvation, dear God. And, and dear Lord, I just pray that for those of us who are believers in this room today, dear God, that we would hear your word and be challenged to go out and live a life on mission for you, God. I just pray that all glory would go to you today, dear Lord. And I just pray that you would do something special in this place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So like I say, I am from Millinite, and uh, just a little bit about me uh, to get into this sermon. Uh, my parents were actually divorced when I was nine months old. So I grew up in a divorced home and never knew any different. I actually lived with my dad the whole time uh, that I was growing up uh, until I was 18 uh, when I moved out and all that good stuff. But it was the craziest thing. As I grew up, every time I left my house as a child, my dad would stop. I mean, for, I'm talking, guys, from five years old to, to the point where I don't understand what my dad's even trying to tell me, to the time where I was 17 and 18 years old, leaving the house under my own power, telling him where I was going and what I was going to be doing. He would stop me as I got to the door every time before I walked out the door, and he would tell me two things. He would look at me and he'd say, Dallas, remember who you are and remember where you come from. Every time before I left the house, he would tell me that. My dad was, my dad was reminding me of, my, of an identity. And I, as I got older, as I, as I was younger, I didn't really understand what he was doing there or why he was doing it. Why was he reminding me of my identity? Listen, it wasn't like I was going to get on the road and forget who I was, right? I got a driver's license. If I do, I can look at it and see. What was it he was trying to get me to understand? He was reminding me of identity. And see, identity, identity and what we're going to be talking about over the next six weeks is identity. Identity is the most important 
important factor in our life. And if you're a note taker, I want you to write this down this morning. Identity is so important because identity informs us as to who we are, and identity directs us as to how we should live. You see, when I was leaving the house, what my dad was not really doing is saying, hey, remember your name. He knew I knew my name, right? It took me a long time to learn it. I wasn't the brightest kid, but he knew I knew my name. What he was doing was he was reminding me of my identity because he wanted to remind me who I was. He wanted to inform me to who I was and direct me as to how we should live, as to how I should live. He had a purpose. And today as I come in here and I prepare to preach, though, the reality is that most of, for most of us in this room, we may not even realize it, but identity is the biggest issue in our lives. Identity is the biggest issue in our lives because we have never answered the question, who am I? We've never answered that question in a concrete and unchanging way, all right? So most of us come in here every week, and we've never answered that question, who am I, in an unchanging, concrete way, and it's always up in there. The truth is many, if not most of us, do not, who we, do not know who we are, and consequentially, guys, we don't know how we should live, okay? You don't, if you don't know who you are, you don't know how you should live. And so the truth is we just come in and drift through life Sunday to Sunday to Sunday, and we never really begin living for Christ. If the pastor gets up here and he talks about having joy in Christ, and we re never really find out what that means. And we never really understand and embrace God's plan for our lives by dying to ourselves and starting to live for his kingdom. We don't know who we are. We just drift through life. And we'll come here Sunday, and we'll be here next Sunday, and the next. And everything between Sunday and Sunday is just a drift because we've never answered the one question that matters. Who am I? You see, identity crisis is not a problem with the Christian life. I want you to see this morning, as we're getting started in this series, A Better Story, identity crisis is the problem of your Christian life. And the truth is, God has a better story for us this morning than the ones we have for ourselves. Listen, your life up to this point, where you've been going through, going through, drifting from Sunday to Sunday, never answering the question, who am I? God has a better story. This drifted frustration, this failure of a life, this never understanding who I am in Christ, this never finding out what the preacher's talking about when he says having joy in Christ, that is not God's plan for our life. God has a, a better story. And now I just want to clarify, I'm not pumping to you some prosperity gospel that says this is all going to be easy and once you answer the question, who, I, who am I in Christ, everything's going to work itself out. That's not at all what I'm saying, okay? The Apostle Paul knew exactly who he was in Christ and he lived a harder life than any of us in this room. Purposeful life lived on mission is not an easy one. But God has a better story for our life even if it means it's going to be a harder life. So as we get into this, I just want to answer this question. What is identity? You see, we can't talk about identity for the next six weeks of this series and not know what it is. We've got to define that. So, so what is identity? We all, got we all got different ideas. Let me give you a, a, a definition of identity. A definition of identity is what a person or thing is. So it's basically the question of answering, who am I? Now, understand from the outset this morning, people, there are two very different ways to answer that question, okay? You can answer that question, who am I, in two different ways. The first way you can answer it is the world's way, all right? So the world has a way of telling you who you are. The world's way of answering the question, who, I, who am I, is this. You are the sum of your own actions. So here's, you are defined by what you do and how well you do it. Does that make sense? Or you might be defined about, about what you have and how much of it you have if you're a rich person here in this morning, right? 
The world tells us to be something, we must do something. So here's a way. Here's how I was thinking about it this morning. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm on Facebook. I, I don't really like that I'm on Facebook. I hate the thing. But I'm friends with a guy on Facebook, and uh, he's a good guy, but he, he's a Ph.D. student right now, all right? And the way this works out on Facebook, this Ph.D. student, is any time he takes one of his Ph.D. classes, he gets on Facebook and takes a picture and says, hashtag Ph.D. classes, right? Now, what is the guy trying to do? Like, he's a good guy, not a bad guy. What's he trying to do? Really, he's putting an image of himself out there to form an identity, right? Because he's telling you, hey, I'm a Ph.D. student. I'm going, to, I'm going for a doctor, right? You might be a Ph.D. student here this morning. That's okay. Just don't get on Facebook and tell everybody, all right? Or I got a better example. I'm, I got a better example for you. How many are there? Is anybody in here a CrossFitter this morning? Does anybody do CrossFit? All right, okay. All right, we got a couple of CrossFitters. I love this, all right? And l- listen, I, l- before we, I say this, Props to you because you're tougher than I am. You are very much so tougher than I am. I try to do CrossFit and it ends up with me vomiting and laying on the ground, okay? But anytime I've ever met a CrossFitter, we didn't have to talk with about five minutes until they told me they were a CrossFitter, right? Why? Because they, they have a certain identity in what they do. That's what the world tells us. You are what you do, okay? And now here's the problem with that. Sometimes it works out great, sometimes not so much, right? But here's, the, here's why no matter how it's going for you, there's a, it's a problem. Because this is completely anti-gospel, right? The gospel says not that you are the sum of your own actions, but you are the sum of God's actions, okay? So that's, what, that's where you come to the second way you can answer this question, who am I? You can answer this question God's way. And God says your identity is not built on your performance, but on God's performance. Are y'all, are y'all following with that? Your identity is not built on anything you can do, but on something God has already done. So i.e., you're not, you're, not you're not doing anything you're not working for an identity. God says your identity is this, this, and this. Th- think about it this way. God says you are a being created in God's image. Do you know that? The Bible says that you, are, you have the divine image of God imprinted on your nature. The Bible says that for those of us who are born again, we're children of God. Think about it for a second. You are a child of God. Like, yeah, you have an earthly uh, father and mother, but even more in a real way, you are a child of the God of the universe who spoke all this into being. He says that's who you are. He says that you're a saint. Now, how many of you this morning, saved or unsaved, think would, clarify, would call yourself a saint? Oh, yeah. Tell me, who are you? I'm a saint, man. I'm just a saint, right? I've never heard the person in this world introduce themselves that way. But here's the, thing, the beautiful thing about these. God says this is who we are, and here's what's beautiful. We didn't do anything to deserve these, these identities. God gave us these identities. So God says identity is the sum of God's actions. And listen, this is completely gospel. Because on the cross, I don't know if you know how the gospel works, but on the cross, Jesus died a death that you deserved so that you could get a life that he lived, right? You got something you didn't work for, the forgiveness of sins. This is the gospel. So the problem is, without fail, we all answer the question of who am I the way of the world. Without fail, every single one of us, from Adam and Eve down to the youngest person in this room who's coming to this world, have all answered the question, who am I our own way? We've not looked to God. We've looked to ourselves. We wanted to answer the question, who am I for ourselves? We wanted to be our own God. And so as I thought about that this week and as I was preparing, the question came to my mind, how did we get here? How did we get to the place where instead of looking to God who created us, For him to tell us who we are and what we should do. How do we get to the place where we look in a mirror 
And subsequently, most of us live our whole lives marked by frustration and failure because we never realize who God says we are. How we get here. It's a bad place to be. And the answer to that question this morning is sin. Sin. My goal today, as we dive into Genesis 3, is I want to help you see that sin is the thing that ultimately distorts and destroys your identity in God. See, God's told you who you are. God's told you what you should do and that you have value and that you are his child and that you are redeemed, that you are a saint. God's told you all that, but sin comes in and sin's goal is to distort and destroy your identity in him. See, and this this is a rough picture right here, and I want it to be rough because this is how sin actually works in our life. Sin is something that's out to kill us. Sin is a cancer that is forming inside of our body that if we do not deal with sin, sin will kill our identity identity from the inside out so this morning what I want us to see is we're diving into this text is that each one of us have been told by God who we are but that each one of us have sin growing deep in our heart and sins distorting and destroying our identity so I want here's what I want to do we're going to read through parts of this text and we're I'm going to stop and, and teach through little sections of it because it's such a long text this morning so I want you to turn with me to Genesis 3 and we're going to start in verse 1 Genesis 3, verse 1 says this. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, the serpent said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, uh, first indicator that Eve should have ran here was the fact that there was a talking snake, okay? Right? I'm just going to throw that out. I'm throwing that out there for you. If, if a snake comes to me and talks, I'm not staying around to have the conversation. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Look, look, look we can feel the, feel the tension, feel the excitement well enough in Eve, and the excitement of sin, the excitement of forbidden fruit, right? We've all felt this before as we've given in to sin and temptation. It's that feeling, well, yeah, you know this isn't right, but man, it looks so good. I want this. I have to have this. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, oh, I want it so bad, and that it was a delight to the eyes. It looks better than what I have now, that that tree was to be desired and to make one wise she couldn't hold out any longer she took of its fruit and she ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate first point I want you to see this morning from, the, from this, this text point number one sin causes us to listen to the wrong voices sin causes us to listen to the wrong voices notice this notice who's, who Eve is listening to in this passage she listens to the voice of a snake which is Satan and she even listens to herself as she's talking through this temptation. Well, maybe I should do this. She even listens to herself, but she totally ignores God. And this is exactly what sin does in my life and in your life. It causes us to shut out and ignore the God and listen to voices that are out to destroy us. Thus, we see the main, one of the main problems in all of our lives. We listen to the wrong voices. I love how Kenneth Matthews puts it. I was reading, I read this, this quote. It says, the woman listens to the serpent, the man listens to the woman, and no one listens to God. Wow. Golly. 
Everybody's listening to somebody, but everybody's closing their ears to God. We don't care what God has to say. And I want you to see what these voices are doing, all right? This is, this is huge. What are these voices that Eve is listening to telling her? What are, they ta- what are they doing? Number one, the first thing they're doing is they're, I lost it, they're attacking God's word. Number one, what these voices are doing, they're attacking God's word. What did the serpent say to Eve? Did God actually say? Hey, Eve, did God really say that you shouldn't eat that fruit? You know what Eve's response should have been? Yes, he did, right? That would have been too easy. Yes, he, God did say. You see, this morning, Christians, above anything and everything else in this world, we have to value, respect, and obey God's word. And when outside voices come against God's word, did God really say you should do it like this? Did God really say this is wrong? Did God really mean that when he said this? We have to stand strong and say, yes, God did say this, and I'm not going to doubt it. Say, that's not what Eve did. We live in a world that is constantly and consistently seeking to diminish God's word. And I know, I don't know, I don't know uh, about some of your past experiences, but I've experienced this firsthand. I had a, uh, I had several classes at Georgia Southern uh, with a guy who taught the Hebrew Bible, and he was a great guy. I love him to this day. He was, uh, I don't know, he says he's a believer. I don't know if he was or not, because I don't know how, if you can be a believer and not believe in the Bible. But uh, when I had this class with him, he, he said things like, the flood didn't happen, and that Jericho never fell. And if it did fall, it fell, it fell like 2,000 years after what it actually said. And then uh, we, we just we get to go into all these Bible passages, and he attacks them, and he attacks them, and he attacks them. And as we're sitting through this class now, I've had this guy several times, so I know how to deal with what he's selling me. I know how to go and find out what's true and what's not true. There was a football player in the class named, with, with me named Man Ray. Man Ray was a great guy, but I don't know that Man Ray was thinking on the same wavelength as the professor was because when the professor started throwing out things like the flood didn't actually happen, Man Ray's in the back, and Man Ray's a Christian, and Man Ray's just got his head down because he cannot deal with it what am I uh, what what do you mean to tell me the flood didn't actually happen Dr. Piaski how is this possible right see what we've got to do as we live in a world where there is constantly and consistently seeking to us to doubt and diminish God's word we've got to stand strong and like the man in the gospel said he cried I believe help my unbelief we've got to say I'm never going to doubt the word of God we're not going to entertain Satan like Eve did we're going to have faith I love what Al Mohler said about this Almost says, I, lo- I allow nothing to influence the way I think about the Bible. There is not one scientific argument you could bring to me, whether it be about evolution of the species or whether it be about uh, the solar system, whatever you got in that Bible, there's nothing you can bring to me that's going to make me th- stop d- d- doubt the Bible. It's just not going to happen. We got to be firm in the Bible. See, see, sin is birthed from a doubting of God's word. Wherever there's sin in your life, wherever there's sin in your life, it comes where you doubt God's word. Listen to this, though. She's also attacking God's goodness. The voices are also attacking God's goodness. Verses 4 through 6, Satan's temptation causes Eve to think that God must be withholding something good from her. Well, there's this fruit over there, and Satan says that it would be really good for me if I ate this fruit. And and, you know, the more I look at it, the more the fruit does look delicious, the more it does look good to my eyes, and I bet it has a sweet taste to it. God must not want what's really best for me because he's withholding this. 
He's not giving me what I want. He's, the circumstances in my life are not what I think they should be. That's the thought process that's going here. And Eve is totally buying into the voice. And listen, there are a lot of us in here this morning who I don't doubt have come in here and life is not going exactly as we thought it would, right? Things are hard. It seems like there's situations not what you think it should be. And you're looking out, just like Eve did, across the water, across the garden, and you're saying, hey, man, things look so much better over there. God, what are you doing? You must not have my best interest in mind. we got to shut those voices out this morning because we know that in all things, God is working for what our good and for his glory. We can't attack God's goodness. And then I want you to see these voices. They're making God seem distant too. Now, this is a real subtle change in the text. You'd have to read Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3 to see this. But in Genesis chapter 2, when God is actually down with Adam and Eve, you know what the Bible calls God? It calls him, uh, it calls him Lord God. In the Hebrew, it's literally Yahweh Elohim. It means not just a God up there somewhere. It means my God. He is for me. He loves me, and I am for him, and I love him. But then when you get to Genesis chapter 3, that's not, the verb, that's not the noun they use to describe God. They go from Lord God to just God. They go from my God to just God up there somewhere. And you see, Satan's trying to make Eve believe that God's out there somewhere, but he doesn't care about you right here, right now. And as Christians, we know better. We know that in all things, God is near. Whether we got a cancer diagnosis yesterday or whether we got a bunch of money in the bank tomorrow. We know that no matter what life circumstances is, God is near and that he cares about us. So the question for us becomes, are we fighting to listen to the right voices? You see, so many times our identity is crashed because we give ear to the wrong voices. And I want to make this point practical for you here this morning. If you're a Christian, this is how this, is how this plays out in your everyday life. We have got to make a habit of understanding when we are being sold something that's untrue, and we must discern the voices of the tempter, and we must make a daily practice of going to God in the Bible and in prayer. Amen. If you don't know what God's saying, you're not going to be able to tell whether you're being told a lie. We've got to go to God in His Word. So that's the first thing. Look at with me at Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. So we see that, that sin causes us to listen to the wrong voices. Let's see, sin separates us from the identity giver. Look at verse 7. It says this. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So to give you a little context for where I'm saying, the, the point here is that sin separates us from the identity giver. I told you that in Genesis 1:27, the Bible says that we are beings created in the image of God. That God has gone through the process of creation in Genesis chapter 1, and he's created the sun and the moon and the, and the ocean and the fishes and, and the birds and the air, and he's created all this stuff, and he comes to the sixth day, and he says, I'm going to create man, and I'm going to create them in my image. So, Man is completely unlike anything else that's come before him. Everything else God has just made and put out there. But in Genesis 1.27, he says man is made in God's image. Why? Because God has made man to have an intimate, 
personal relationship with God. God specifically made man so that when God came down in the garden, God could have fellowship with man, right? God's not coming down in the garden and looking for the deer and saying, hey, let's ha- let me go have a conversation with the deer and the rabbits. That's not what he's doing. He's coming down in the garden and he's having a conversation with man. Man was made specifically for this pr- picture, for this, for this purpose. And see the picture here. We are, we are humans made by God for God. To have intimate relationship with him. Walk in the garden with God. Then in Genesis 3, 7 through 10, instead of an intimate personal relationship with Christ, we see man and woman running in shame and fear and nakedness away from God, hiding from him. What happened? What happened to this picture here? In one chapter, we see that we are made for God to enjoy him. And the next chapter, we're running into the bushes, scared to death of him. What's going on? And see, if you don't listen to anything else I have to say here this morning, I want to ask you to give me five minutes for this right here and just tune in and hear this, okay? Because this is the most important thing I'm going to tell you all day long. But sin in this, what's happened here is sin is literally brick by brick built a wall that separates us from the God who gives us identity. There was a God who gave us an identity and gave us a purpose and gave us value and gave us worth and sin has come brick by brick and built a wall that separated us from him. This to me is one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible because when we see that they're running into the trees to hide themselves, what we see is the exact opposite of what God intended. And the reality is today, that the situation that Adam and Eve faced where they ran and hid from God is the same thing that each one of us face today. You see, we were made to know God, but sin has come and brick by brick separated us from God. Knowing this, is it any wonder that we spend so much time and money and energy trying to figure out who we are? No, because in this fall, when Eve took of the apple and when Adam took of the fruit, what happened is in that fall, right then and there, we lost access to the one person who could actually tell us who we are. After the fall, if you want to know who you are, then there's going to have to be somebody who's going to come and deal with the sin that separates us from God. There's going to have to be somebody who can tear down this wall that separates us from God and somebody that can take away the condemnation that's causing us to run and hide. And here's the truth, the unchanging, beautiful truth of the gospel this morning, that Jesus Christ is the person who has come to deal with the sin that separates you from God. Jesus Christ is the person who's come come down from heaven with a holy hammer to beat down the wall of sin that separates you from the one person who you were created to enjoy. Jesus Christ is the one person who can take away your guilt and condemnation that separates you. You see, Jesus Jesus on the cross paid the price for our every sin. And if we are a believer, on the cross, brick by brick, Jesus tore it down, tore down the veil that separates us from God. You see, there is no longer a need for us to run into the bushes and hide from the presence of our God. You see, Adam and Eve, they ran because they were scared. They ran because they were guilty. They ran because they were condemned. 
But through Jesus, there is no longer a need for us to run. Because Romans verse, chapter 8, verse 1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. You see, they ran because they were condemned. We don't have to run anymore because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. This is the most important thing you can see today. That Genesis 3.8 is the curse that we're all living under. We're separated from the identity giver. And Jesus has come to undo Genesis 3.8. See, it was in the middle of all our mess and all our sin and all our, all our dirtiness that was going on. Jesus came so that we could go to God and God could say, don't you remember who I told you that you are? And I, I told y'all I have a one-year-old. Listen, I, I love her to death. I think she's the smartest kid who's ever been born. And I don't care if you have a one-year-old, she's smarter than your one-year-old. And I think she's prettier than every other one-year-old. I love her to death. But I think she is the perfect illustration of this point. Because under, this is, it's so cool when you have kids and you figure some of this stuff out. But when I have, uh, when my, when my one-year-old, her name is Danny, D-A-N-I, when she gets in trouble, she, when she locks her eyes onto me, and the, it doesn't matter what she's done or who's punished her. Here's the crazy thing. I can be the one to have spanked her, right? I'm sorry if that offends you if I spank a one-year-old, right? She's bad, I'm telling you. I have to light her up sometimes, okay? I can be the one who has spanked her. I can have just voiced my displeasure in her. I can just have said, Danny, no, don't do that. And it doesn't matter what's going on, what kind of trouble she's in, whether her mother has punished her, whether I've punished her, whether somebody else has yelled at her, whether she's scared of the dark, no matter what's going on, when she fixes her eyes on me, man, I, got, I wish you guys could see it. She is a daddy's girl through and through, and she just bolts and runs for me. And that's such a, as I was thinking about this message, that's such a beautiful illustration of the gospel because I can be the one to have punished Danny and even in the midst of the punishment, she comes to me and she says, there is no condemnation from this man. He loves me. He's never going to do me harm. He's my dad and he is for me and he's good. And that's the gospel. Because even as God has seen us and he said, you've sinned against me, he said, come to me and I'll make all things right. This morning, I believe there are many people here who they need this new identity. They need this a better story. But the reality is, you know that you've lived with the guilt and condemnation of this kind of sin on you your whole life. And your whole life, you've made a practice of running from God instead of running to God. And this morning, listen, I'm begging you, if you're here and you know uh, that you're separated from the identity giver, this morning, make it a practice of running to God. We're going to have an invitation in a few minutes. All you have to do is when you say, you say, I, I need that, I need what he's offering, all, this is all you got to do. Raise your hand when I ask, and God's going to come running back to you. That's it. So sin separates us from the identity giver, but the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has made it right. Look with me at Genesis uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 11. It says this. He said, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Verse 12. The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and ate. All right. Marriage pointer right here, man. All eyes on me right here. If you're ever in a fight, this is what not to say. Okay. The man just blamed the woman. It was her fault, God. It wasn't me. It was her, right? It, that's a surefire way to, to not have your wife happy with you. As a matter of fact, go to the preacher and tell him your arguments and then tell, tell the preacher that it was your wife's fault. That's what's going on here, right? The wife's not happy. 
Can you imagine how the next 20 or 30 years were for Adam after this? Verse 13, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And he said to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorn and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Number three, here's what I want you to see from this, this, this scripture. is Sin makes us look for identity in other places. Now, if I could be honest with you, personally, this is where I need to grow the most this morning. I still make it a habit a lot of times in my life to not look to God to tell me who I am, but I look to everything else I've got in this world to tell me who I am. And in the judgment dialogue, God curses a couple of things for the woman and one for the man. And all, these are literal physical curses. These are things that have real life effects in our day-to-day life right here. Uh, I don't, any of y'all who are having baby, uh, have had babies or are going to have babies, listen, you, you know like childbirth is not the most pleasant of experiences. These are physical things, but I think God here is pointing to some sore spots, and we're going to talk more about these things next week, some sore spots for us where we try to build our identities on instead of God. Now listen, this is not like some exegetical certainty, but as I was reading this, I think God was speaking to me through this text and through the judgment dialogue. So what does he say are these sore spots for women? What are these places for women that you tend to look to and build your identity off of? He gives us two things that he curses. He, first one is marriage and men. He says, your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. In other words, marriage is going to be hard, and you're not going to know whether you should lead or follow, and there's going to be times where you just don't know what to do. Ladies, can I get an amen from that? Oh, y'all got good marriages. My wife amen, okay? My wife was like, amen, praise Jesus, okay? Marriage is hard sometimes for you. And the tendency now, is, the tendency I think God's pointing out is that the temptation for women now is that there's a temptation and a struggle to define themselves based on the man they are with or the marriage they're in. Ladies, y'all kind of like, no, that ain't my temptation. I'm just trying to give you the Bible, okay? And so it goes a little bit like this. I am the sum of of the success of my relationships or how well my marriage is going. And what happens is, for, the, for single ladies, you feel worthless because you can't get a man. Or maybe you don't want a man, I don't know. And then for married ladies that are in bad marriages, you feel, you feel like you're not valuable at all because if you were valuable, then your husband would be happy. Another one, another one is children. He says the childbearing is going to become hard for you. And I, I know that this is an identity struggle for some women because the temptation becomes, namely, can you have children and are you a good mother? And that's what you build your identity on. I, oh, I'm a mother. I have good kids. Or if you have bad kids, God help you, you feel worthless. When I'm learning, hey, if you got kids, just try to keep them alive, okay? And hear this today, ladies. 
Your worth is not dependent on any child, whether good or bad, or whether you can have children, or girls single and married. Your value is not dependent on any man in this room, and it never will be, and you should be thankful for that. Because we're not that great. And now for me, and he cursed, he says, you're going to have some temptations too. You're going to have some temptations to build your identity on. And for me, it becomes work. And we know that men build their identity on work, do we not? You, um, two men who have never met before in their lives, they might not even ask each other their name before they ask, what do you do for a living? Because you're, I don't care what your name is. All I need to know about you is what you do. And the lie goes, you are the sum of what you do and how well you do it. Men, if you can't make enough money to feed your family, men, if you can't, if you get laid off from a job, you're worthless. And what the gospel's saying this morning is that you are valuable if you don't perform at all. Because Jesus has already done it. And here's what I want you to see. This is the truth. Anything you point, build your life on other than the solid rock of Jesus Christ is sinking sand. Y'all remember that? I grew up in a Baptist church. I remember the hymns, right? On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Go ahead. Build on other rocks. And you're going to find that your house is falling down and they won't stand and it's full of water because nothing's going to stand next to Jesus. And here's the last point I want you to see this morning. Point number four. Sin makes us the main character in God in a story about God. As we work through these verses, I want you to see the main problem. The main problem is that Adam and Eve replaced God with themselves. In their sin and in our sin here today, it's not that we don't know God, it's that we don't care about God. Listen, there are many people here today who are, are currently walking in sinful situations. I don't know what that is. It could be lust. It could be thievery. It could be uh, you living in premarital, uh, in premarital relations that are not appropriate. I don't know. But it's not that you don't know what you're doing is wrong. It's that you don't know God enough to care. Adam and Eve were made to look to God. But in the fall, they stopped looking to God and started looking in a mirror. Instead of giving glory to God for how good he was, they put a mirror in front of their faces and they started looking at themselves and they started saying, me, me, me. And we have all done the same thing ever since. The essence of sin is looking to God and saying, you're not good enough. There's got to be something better out there. And if you want to know who you are in this life, the single most important thing you can do is understand who you're not. You're not God. You're not good enough to save yourself. You're not good enough to build your own identity. You have to have Christ. And listen, I was working this out yesterday. I was telling the connectors just this morning in the coffee shop. I was thinking about, God, how does this apply to me? God, what are you wanting to preach to me from this text? And all I could think is I was thinking, I wrote this down. And if I'm a being made in God's image, then everything about my personality, my likes and my dislikes, my giftedness, uh, are all made by uh, the being of the universe, the God of the universe who created everything. He gave, made me unique so that I could give him glory and walk in relationship with him. And if that's the truth, then every single sin in my life comes from when I forget that fact, that I am made by God for God, and he has made me uniquely, so I do not have to try to be somebody else. I don't have to try to work harder to be better because God has made me who I am, and he has told me who I am. Listen, sin is that cancer that's welling up inside of you. 
that says, look in the mirror, look in the mirror, look in the mirror. And the beauty of the gospel is that there's a cure for that cancer named Jesus Christ who comes to you and says, look back to God. Look at verse 20 and 21. We're closing with this. It says, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. You see, remember what Adam and Eve did. They were running in the garden on the way to the trees and they grabbed some leaves to cover themselves up because they wanted to hide themselves from God as if they could hide anything from God. They're running. And God is looking to Adam and Eve and he's, he's saying that there is no mere human act that's going to cover up your sin. There's nothing you can do to make yourself pure. There's nothing you can do to make yourself holy. God has to deal with it. And then we get to this verse, and God says, give me your fig leaves. And he goes out into the garden, and he kills an animal. And he, there's bloodshed involved. And the animal's dead, and he skins the animal, and he brings them back and says, here, cover yourselves. And here in that moment, God, God's dealing in blood. God's not dealing in leaves. And what he's showing us is he's showing that there's going to be a payment of blood that's going to forgive all of our sins. And that payment of blood was named Jesus Christ. And listen. There are two responses that from this message have got to be made. I don't know, I don't know what you're thinking here today. I don't, know, I don't know how God's dealing with you, but there are only two responses from this message that are, that are optional. Number one, if you're lost, if you don't know who you are this morning, if you've been trying to figure that out, look to Jesus. Because Jesus is that payment that God was dealing with way back in Genesis 1. Jesus is the thing that's come to undo all the curses that God has put on the earth. Jesus is the answer. Look to the cross and see that Jesus has paid the price for your every sin. Jesus alone can forgive your sins and make you whole. And this is you saying, I don't want to be the main character in your story, God. I want this story to be about you, and I'm looking back to you. And now, this morning, listen, if that's you, this is what I want to ask you to do. If you're saying, I just want to be a, a character in your story, would you just raise your hand so we could celebrate with you? We don't want to make it weird. We just, want, we just want you to raise your hand so we can celebrate with you and pray for you. Is that anybody this morning? If that's you, will you just raise your hand real high so our prayer team can see you and they're going to they're gonna take you and uh, they're going to pray with you after service? There, there are a couple right here, guys. While they're doing that, listen, for those of us who are in this room for a believer, there's still a response to be made. If we're here, we've got to recommit to killing the sin in our life that's destroying our identity. And listen, this might look like a stage, but it's an altar. And the song they're about to sing says, oh, come to the altar. If you need to recommit to killing some things that are destroying your identity, would you just come down here and pray this morning? Would you just say, God, I've got this, this, and this in my life, and I've got to kill it or it's going to destroy me? Listen, I've got that my own stuff that I need to kill. I, I'm not any better than you because I'm on this stage. But if you're here this morning and you're a believer, I'd ask you to come commit to doing that today. I'm going to pray for us, and they're going to sing, and we're going we're to worship God. Dear God, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you so much for the way you love us, God. Lord, I know that I'm nothing but a rambling uh, excuse of a messenger this morning, God, but I believe that your message is good. And I believe that the gospel is good. So I pray right now, God, that you would just deal in terms of the gospel, not in terms of the foolish messenger, God. Will you please work? And God, we praise you for taking people from death to life today. 
And you are the God of all, and we thank you for your glory. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.